0: Now, I know many of us, if not all of us, have stress in our lives and deal with anxiety as well. Well, today's guest is here to show you how you can release and relieve some of that anxiety and stress in your life. We have returning to the show, Dr. Rao. And Dr. Rao is a world renowned lecturer and author, among other things. So get ready to have some tools to help you with your stress and anxiety. Let's dive in. I'd like to welcome back to the show, returning champion, Dr. Rao. How are you doing, Dr. Rao?
2: I am fine, thank you.
0: Thank you so much for coming back on the show. I had you on early in in the show uh, when we first launched a while ago, and I had such a wonderful time talking to you that I wanted to bring you back on to talk deep thoughts to go deep into into what we into these deep conversations about the mysteries of life that you that you happen to have a, a really depth into with all the work that you've done over the years but can you tell everybody a little bit about yourself and the work that you do
2: uh certainly uh i am an executive coach and uh, i have a unique niche in that uh i coach very successful people, typically entrepreneurs and senior executives, who want to have an extraordinary impact on the world. They're already successful, but they want to make a dent in the universe. But they also have an explicit spiritual path. So they know that life isn't all about getting the biggest toys and the most toys. In the back of their minds, they probably have a notion, I can sit down and meditate eight hours a day and grow spiritually, or I can become a business titan. And my job is to show them it's not or, it's and, that becoming a business titan is their spiritual path. So that's my coaching niche. To the best of my knowledge, I'm the only person playing in that sandbox. That doesn't mean there aren't others. It simply means that I'm not aware of them.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, and, and what I found interesting about your work is that you've you know you've studied a lot of the ancient you know texts and spiritual masters and. Uh, brought them down to and, and kind of like taken away all of the the religious uh, and dogmatic aspects of it, and really, what you know, really kind of put it down, grind it down to the bare bones of the amazing, profound lessons in those. Is is that an accurate description?
2: That's fair enough.
0: Yep. So great. So my first question then is, based on your studies, uh, what do the ancient uh, masters that you've studied? have to say about our reality or the real world as we see it?
2: Uh, That is an easy one, but it's also a very difficult one for most people to comprehend unless they've already spent a fair amount of time thinking about it. They all say in every wisdom tradition that the world we think we live in is not real. Let me repeat that. The world that we think we live in is not real. It is a construct. We made it up with our mental chatter and our mental models. It's very much as if each one of us was living in the matrix, only this is not a matrix created by an alien civilization out to enslave us. It is something that we created with our mental chatter and our mental models. Now, Alex, I've got to stress that this is a hugely liberating concept, because if the world you lived in was real and you didn't like it, you're screwed. Grin and bear it. But if the world you live in is not real, it's a construct, and you don't like it, then you can deconstruct the parts of it that are not working for you and build it up again. And you can do this over and over as you go through the journey of life, and that's what my teaching and my coaching is all about.
0: So do so. This idea of this construct, which is, I mean, from back in the Hindu traditions of Maya, the illusion, the great mm-hmm. dream of the Aborigines. I mean, this is an this is a concept that goes back thousands of years. Yes. But now we're talking now. Quantum physicists are, are starting to throw their hat in the ring.
2: Exactly the which, same thing. <laughs> it's
0: the same thing, but simulation theory and that the math actually starts to make sense of like, no, this could be a giant computer program, quote unquote, uh, <laughs> of an illusion, which then again goes back into the matrix, going to this illusion yes, that we correct. can create. So, in your opinion, can we create our own reality?
2: We do all the time.
0: So, can you explain a bit?
2: Sure. Uh, what happens is we don't live in the real world. We live in our mind. Now, let's assume that uh, you're young and you were deeply in love and uh, your girlfriend dumps you. And you go out to a beautiful vacation resort, a seaside resort. You're walking on the beach and it's gorgeous and there's the blue ocean and there's a wonderful sun. You don't enjoy all of that. You're stuck in a deep, dark, gloomy miasma, and you can't get out of it. That's the world that you created inside your head. And having created it, you experience it as you've created it. And if you go through life, you will find that you are never where you are. You're always in your head, always. And you think, oh, that's a beautiful sunset, and you look at it for 10 seconds, and then you're back into what you have created. And we do that so constantly, and we do that all the time, and we don't even recognize that this is what we're doing. Hmm. So,
0: this is a hard concept for people to understand. Of
2: course. (laughs) I told you, it's not easy to grasp unless you already spend some time thinking about it, and you say, darn it, you know, that idiot, he's right. And that's what I'm doing.
0: We're dropping seeds in this conversation. We're hopefully yes. dropping seeds that will flourish later. Because it, when I first heard this idea, I was just like, this is difficult to con, But as you start to grind down on it and start to kind of like marinate on it for years, <laughs> you start to understand. And then you start analyzing the reality you, you are. You start playing little games of like, well, instead of looking at the milk that just spilled and get angry at it, just understand that the milk that spilled is. And my, yes. per, and my perception of it is the charge that I give that situation, positive e- or negative, correct?
2: Exactly, exactly correct. Things are, they're not good, they're not bad, they are. But you graft meaning onto them. And having grafted meaning onto them, you experience the meaning that you have conferred on them.
0: But that but isn't that meaning or or the concept of good and bad is cultural essentially. Uh, that we're uh, programmed with it.
2: More than cultural, I would say it's what we have been programmed into. Some part of it is cultural. But societal then. Societal. Yes. Soci- oh absolutely, yes. Yeah, so
0: so societal. So either cultural or societal, you know, because in some parts of the world, you know, things that we consider good uh, are not considered you know, positive in other Absolutely. parts of the world yes. and vice versa, yep. you know,
2: mm-hmm. um, you know, Very freedom, true, Yes,
0: freedoms for, for women, freedoms for speech, freedoms, all these kind of things that we might have here in the West and, and other parts of the world, that we like look down upon. So this is cultural. So if you understand that you, your idea of good and bad is based purely on where you were born at the time you were born and mm-hmm. your parents and the, the, the community that you were born in, that kind of starts to shift your idea of the whole concept of, quote unquote good and bad, correct?
2: Absolutely. Yes, it does.
0: So what can people do about it's so hard. When the milk spills, man, you want to get angry. Mm-hmm. What can we do to stop ourselves for a second and go and wait a minute? Either get either feel the anger quickly and get out of it quickly, or that's the thing I've noticed in my life before when the milk spilled, that would ruin my day. If the milk really spilled, it could ruin my day for two or three days. Mm-hmm. Now when the milk spills, I get angry for about a second or two, then I pop back out. Yeah. And it kind of lessens as time goes on, at least in my life. Is that what you found as well?
2: That's wonderful, yes. And that is exactly the way it should be. The milk spilled, the milk spilled. And what you now have to figure out is, what is the quickest, most efficient way I can clean this darn spill up? And move on. Would you like to have a terrific day every day, Alex?
1: Yes we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor and now back to the show
2: well would your listeners like to have that too
0: i'm assuming if they're listening to the show yes
2: all right so let me tell you how you can have a terrific day every day and it's really very simple it's so simple that when I tell you how to do it, you might be tempted to laugh at me. Don't. Mm -hmm. It's what I'm about to share with you is very profound, okay? The way to have a terrific day every day is to get up in the morning and decide you're going to have a terrific day. Most of us make a mistake and they think that two things have to happen before we can have a terrific day. And those two things are, one, stuff should happen that I want to have happen. And two, stuff should not happen that I don't want to have happen. And you don't have any control over either one of those. So if you're smart, you'll get up and say, I'm going to have a terrific day today. But being smart, you recognize that feces is going to fall from the sky. That's the nature of feces. It falls from the sky. So in my terrific day, there is some shit going to be landing on my head and on the floor, and I'm going to spend a couple of hours of my terrific day cleaning up the shit that's inevitably going to fall, and I'm going to have a terrific time doing it. That's all you need to do to have a terrific day every day. It's really that simple.
0: And it sounds simple. And I agree with you that that is a possibility. But for people who have, um, and we're going to talk about your mental models in a second, which I think is really important to what I'm about to say. But when you have programming, or you're holding on to anger, you're holding on to discontent, it's difficult to break through that barrier to have what you just said. If you're in a different place, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, what you said makes all the sense in the world, but how do you break through those um, those kind of, those mental models, if you will? And if you can explain what a mental model is to everybody, maybe that'll a help. A
2: mental you. model is a notion that we have that this is the way the world works. And we have dozens of models. We've got a model for how do I find a person to marry? How do I evaluate an employee I'm planning to hire? How do I decide where I'm going to have dinner? We've got dozens of models. Some of them may be in conflict with each other, and we may or may not be aware of those conflicts. The problem, Alex, is not that we have mental models. Mental models are wonderful things. They help us make sense of unstructured situations. They save us time. The problem is not that we have mental models. The problem is that we don't recognize that we have mental models. We think this is the way the world works. But this is not the way the world works. This is the way we think the world works. And the more we invest in this, the more it seems to us as if this is in fact the way the world works. And very soon we build a silo around ourselves that's so thick we can't break out of it. So to answer your earlier question, how does one get out of this when we have been so strongly indoctrinated, is to think about what I have just shared with you and determine for yourself whether it's true or not. You know, I believe X, whatever X is, is that true? Is there data which refutes that? Mm -hmm. Is it possible that I'm mistaken, or is it possible that some of the time what I think is true, but other times it's not, so therefore I cannot generalize? And you have to keep going back to it in your mind, thinking over and over again until you have deprogrammed yourself. Look, uh, where were you born and where did you grow up?
0: I was born uh, in Miami.
2: Okay, fair enough. And,
0: and and basically grew up between that and New York. Right.
2: So you have never worn a lungi, right? Do you know what a lungi is? I do not. A lungi is a traditional dress in many parts of South Asia, particularly in Burma. It's basically a strip of cloth tied sewed into a circle. So you step into that and you tie it around your waist, and you know that's a lungi. And uh, for informal dress, you have a plain lungi. You can be very formal and have elaborated, intricately designed uh, uh, lunjis with all kinds of formal decorations. So it can be a formal dress. It can be informal. But that's what people in Burma, now Myanmar, wear all the time. Now... The first time I wore a lunji, I was very uncomfortable. It was all I could do to prevent it from falling. And for a long time, I used to keep the lunji up by basically tying a belt around my middle and folding it over. But eventually, I started feeling comfortable with the lunge. The more I wore the lunge, the more I felt comfortable. And a day came when I could simply wear it. I could never wear it with the nonchalance of a native, but I could wear it, keep it on, and feel, OK, I'm comfortable with it. That's how you do it. These notions seem uncomfortable. Try them on for size. Keep thinking about them, and one day they will stop being uncomfortable. And one day, will say, "But of course, that's how it always is." That's how you make the the de- the de- de- transition. You deprogram yourself.
0: Now, the mind is a very uh, is is your best friend and your worst enemy all at the same time. It can Correct. be. Um, and with this conversation, I'm already playing devil's advocate, if you will, Mm -hmm. and going, okay, well, what Dr. Rao is saying is great, but that's for other people. That's like, you know, like, oh, if I'm, if I'm not doing financially well, and then you just said, is there any evidence to refute why you're not doing financially well? Then you're like, well, look at, look at the five or 10 other examples of people doing financially well. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, well, obviously it's possible. Mm-hmm. Or if you're not in a loving relationship, you see other people in a loving relationship, it's possible. But then the mind goes, Ah, but that's for other people, not for me. Mm-hmm. How do you break free from that kind of that chatter, that that, that, that inner critic that is so brutal to us?
2: By awareness. Awareness is the only solution to that, Alex. You have to constantly be thinking and seeing how you're digging the pit into which you are falling. You fall into a pit and you're making things worse by digging. There was this joke somewhere, I forget which, you said, when you realize in a hole, the first thing you have to do is stop digging. So for the person who wants to get out, the first thing you have to do is stop digging. And if you were in a really deep hole, it would take a while before you could clamber out. But the way that I show persons to do it, and it's described in my book, Are You Ready to Succeed? And in my courses and coaching programs, it will work. You just have to apply it assiduously. And of course, there are people who say, ah, you know, this is this is a crock of, you know, world, and, you know it's not going to work. God bless them. Continue as you are until you figure out that what you're doing is not working for you. And when you truly recognize it's not working for you, come back.
0: Now you discussed something earlier in regards to control that we have. We 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 perceive that we have some sort of control in our lives, Mm -hmm. Uh, and that I think that I've heard you say before that control is an illusion. Yes. So can you discuss that a little bit as far as why we believe that? Because a lot of people think that I have to drive the wheel. I have to drive the car. Mm -hmm. I have to drive everything. That's
2: one of the biggest myths we have in our society. And the myth we have in our society is, you know, I've got to do it. I'll go out and I'll work really hard and I'll make it. And if I want to go from one place to one, uh, place A to place B, I have to come up with a plan for going from place A to place B and I have to execute well on that plan and I'll get from place A to place B. Right. Maybe, maybe not. How many times? See, here's what happens. Many times in our life, we wanted to go from place A to place B, and we came with a plan and executed, and we did, in fact, get from place A to place B. And we said, Eureka, it does it. I have control. I did it, and I can do it again. In reality, any of a million things that could have gone wrong did not go wrong. So be eternally grateful. But don't think that you did it and you have control, because the notion that you have control is what I call the illusion of control. And all of us have it. The pandemic was wonderful in this way because it viscerally brought home to many people that you do not have control.
1: We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Now, back to the show.
2: My wife and I are both tennis freaks. We've been to the U.S. Open practically every year. We've been to the French Open a number of times, went to the Australian Open three years ago. And 2020 is when we were going to Wimbledon. So I bought good tickets for the men's semifinals and finals. Now, if you know anything about Wimbledon, getting good seats for the later rounds, it's, it's not an expenditure, it's a capital investment. At that time, if somebody had said, Srikumar, you're not going to go to Wimbledon," I'd have said, yeah, it's possible. But in my head would have been something like perhaps somebody close to me fell ill, so I had to cancel my trip. I would never have imagined that the tournament itself would be canceled and there would be no planes flying between London and New York. So the pandemic, in a very visceral sense, brought home to many people that you really do not have control.
0: Now, is control a part, control is ego, essentially.
2: Absolutely, yes. I can do it. This is why, actually, there's a wonderful uh, social practice in the Islamic tradition among Muslims. You know, whenever they say something, they always say, inshallah, if that be the will of Allah. Let's meet for dinner on Sunday. Yeah, let's meet for dinner on Sunday. Inshallah. Now, what happens is this has become mechanical. So some of my Muslim students tell me that it's become, not only has it become mechanical, but it's now used as in a very derogatory, derisive way. So inshallah means, of course, it's not going to happen. So they use it derisively. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's really a shame because if you go down to the spirit of the tradition, inshallah means nothing is within our control. And if it be the will of the universe, the will of Allah, then we will meet. And you acknowledge that upfront and that acknowledgement is wonderful. So if it's not mechanical, but you say, yeah, nothing is under my control. We'll beat for dinner on Sunday, you know, if all things go well.
0: So let me ask you this then, because I I was raised in the West uh, and I was raised in working hard, work good work ethic, all of that stuff. And I have achieved many things in my life mm-hmm. uh, by working hard. Uh, But I also have not achieved many things in my life by working hard, arguably some of the biggest things I've ever wanted in my life to happen. Mm -hmm. I like like my wife says, it's not for lack of trying (laughs) that you haven't achieved those goals. Mm -hmm. So where do we balance with letting go of control, but yet still working towards goals that we have because you can't sit around waiting for someone to knock on the door to give you what you want it has
2: to be participation not only should you work hard but you should work devilishly hard right now our model is i worked very hard and i didn't get what i wanted so obviously i did something wrong because if i'd done it right then you know i I would have been jeff bezos or uh (laughs) right
0: how many people uh, are trying to be elon Musk right now or whatever
2: yeah that's not so See, what happens is the mistake we make, Alex, is we think that the benefit of setting a goal for ourselves and working hard to achieve it is achieving the goal. Achieving the goal is an outcome. It is beyond our control. We may get there. We may not get there. Any of a number of things could happen to prevent you from achieving it. Okay, how many movies have you seen where, it's, you know, there's a criminal and he's gloating and, you know, it's a done deal. And all of a sudden, something comes unstuck and their entire uh, uh, facade falls apart. Many. Colombo is great for that in the series. You know, he is a criminal. He's done the perfect thing. And Colombo always finds that one little hole which you forgot to plug. Right. It happens all the time. So here's what you have to understand. The benefit of setting a goal and trying your level best to achieve the goal is not achieving the goal. The benefit is the learning and growth that happen in you and to you as you try your level best to achieve the goal. If you actually achieve the goal, that is a bonus. Be immensely grateful. If you don't achieve the goal, the learning and growth have already happened, so you're ahead of the game. It's a no-lose proposition. And that's why you go off, you set a goal, and you work very hard to achieve it, because regardless of whether you achieve it or not, the learning and growth have happened to you and in you.
0: So on uh, coming from a spiritual uh, point of view then, You know, from my understanding of my spiritual studies and speaking to a lot of spiritual masters around the world, we are we come down here to learn lessons. We come down here to walk a path. Uh, Many say that we create this experience for ourselves to learn certain lessons in the evolution of our soul.
2: That Uh, is a model, by the way.
0: Right, it's a model. So that's exactly that's that's a mental model, correct? Mm -hmm. So if we look at life that way, then you know, if you keep going towards a goal. And it keeps, you keep bumping into walls and bumping into walls and bumping into walls. That is the universe or whatever you want to call it, pushing you in the direction of where benefits you most in the evolution of your soul. It might not be what you want, but it's what you need. And I always tell people, if you got everything you wanted in life, your life would be a disaster. (laughs) Would you agree?
2: Uh, that actually is something that Einstein said. We review Einstein because he was a great scientist. He formulated the theory of relativity. He discovered the photoelectric effect. But Einstein was also a philosopher who had a very intimate understanding of the universe. And he said the most important question you are ever going to ask yourself is, is the universe friendly?
0: Yeah.
2: Let me repeat that. Einstein said the most important question you are ever going to ask is, is the universe friendly? The vast majority of us believe the universe is neither friendly nor unfriendly. It doesn't know I exist and couldn't care less. Here I am going around doing my thing. There's the universe going around doing its thing. Sometimes it seems to help me. Sometimes it seems to work against me. But essentially, it's a random process. Not true. What if the universe was aware of your existence and the universe was well disposed towards you? Well, if the universe was your friend, friends don't shaft friends, right? (laughs) So if the universe was your friend, why does it give you stuff you don't want? Well, what if it gave you stuff that you don't want, but which was exactly right for your learning and growth? It's like a small child, you're a small child and you want a tub of ice cream and your parents give you fruits and vegetables and you don't want fruits and vegetables, you want a tub of ice cream. But the universe through your parents gives you fruits and vegetables and it isn't until you have a much greater level of wisdom and maturity that you can say, thank God I got fruits and vegetables. So what if the universe was like that? It doesn't give you what you need, but it gives you exactly it doesn't, doesn't give you what you want, but it gives you exactly what you need for your learning and growth.
0: And that's and that's difficult for a lot of people to understand because again, the whole So good...
2: you have to cultivate the knowledge that this is a friendly universe. That's why Einstein said the most important question you will ever ask is, is the universe friendly? Mm-hmm. Because my friend, if you live in a friendly universe, your experience of life will be ever so much better.
0: Right, because we've all met those kind of people who walk around the like, everything is horrible, we're all going to die, this is bad, bad things happen all the time. If you just look at the news that's being Mm -hmm. spewed out to us on just a constant 24-hour basis, Mm -hmm. so it's difficult for people looking at someone like the news saying, oh, we're in a friendly place, when you just see the negative, 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 negative,
2: negative. Remember that the news... Channels have a vested interest in making you feel bad and fearful. When you feel bad, then you spend more time there, and you feel down, and that—that's a great time to say, you know, you can feel better if you buy X. So, whatever it is,
0: yeah, exactly, exactly.
2: So they have a vested interest in making you feel not good,
0: right? Exactly, and same thing goes for social media, for that matter. Yeah, Uh, especially
2: social media. Absolutely, those algorithms are
0: built to yeah. get you to that place it's yes. it's it's disheartening to say the least now yes. which brings me to my next to my next question uh so many of us live in a stressful uh, state all the time especially mm-hmm. in the west and mm-hmm. if it, it, you know before it was the tiger that used to scare us but now it could be our boss it could be our spouse it could be not paying the bills it could be but we're in a constant fight or flight mm-hmm. you know place in our lives and that mm-hmm. stress is killing us Mm -hmm. What do we do to relieve some of that stress out of our lives, Dr. Rao?
2: Understand why you have stress in your life. I've asked this question of thousands of people on six continents. Do you have stress in your life? And most people say they have more stress in their life now than ever before. So, of course, I ask them, why do you have stress in your life? And they come up with dozens of answers. And I boil them down into a few major categories. Uh, they have stress in the life because of financial problems relationship issues health uh, reverses career setbacks uh, problems with children and other relationships etc 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 wrong
1: we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor and now back to the show
2: There's only one reason you have stress in your life, Alex. Let me repeat that. There's only one reason you have stress in your life. And the reason you have stress in your life is because you have a rigid demand that the world unfold in a particular manner. And the world is paying no attention to what you want and going its merry ways. And you resist it and you resent it. And in that resistance and resentment, you create the stress in your life. And that's the only reason you have stress in your life.
0: Again, it goes back to trying to control and and, and wanting things to be, you're basically a child. I want it, I want it, I want the tub of ice cream.
2: No, exactly. I just want that
0: tub of ice cream and it's just not working for me. Which then leads me to my next question in regards to stress, because I love your example of the traffic jam. Can you give that? Can you give that? Can you tell that story of the traffic jam to everybody? Oh,
2: Absolutely, and, the sure lesson? I, and I would invite you as well as everybody who's listening, not just to listen to me, but to put yourself in the situation that I am outlining. So you're going to a meeting, and it's a very important meeting, a really important meeting. You're driving. You are running late. You're stuck in a massive traffic jam. It's a beastly hot day, and the air conditioner in your car has broken down. So get all of this. You go to a really important meeting, you're driving, you're running late, you're stuck in a massive traffic jam, it's a beastly hot day, and the air conditioning in your car has broken down. No, all of a sudden someone cuts, all of a sudden, someone cuts it in front of you and almost causes an accident. And then he cuts in front of another car in front of you and almost causes a second accident. What are your feelings towards the driver of that car? Also, pretty good that your feelings towards the driver of that car are not those of loving kindness. So You think unprintable thoughts, you might give him a finger. If you were, if you did carry firearms in the car, you might be tempted to go lethal. Mm -hmm. But now I share with you the information that the guy who cut you off was a father who'd been informed that his son had been involved in an accident and had to be operated on. And he was desperately trying to get to the hospital with no knowledge of whether or not he'd ever see his son alive again. So when I share that information with you, you can feel your rage drain out of you to be replaced with compassion for a fellow human being in an unfortunate predicament, right?
1: Mm
2: -hmm. You don't really know whether the guy who cut you off was a distraught father or an inconsiderate jerk. So Alex, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go hire a private investigator to look into the matter and report back. And if the private investigator reports back to you that the guy was a distraught father, you'll feel great compassion. But if the private investigator reports back to you that the guy was an inconsiderate jerk, you'll be really pissed off. But until you know for sure you're going to remain neutral. Is that what's going to happen? Very unlikely. You're not going to hire a private investigator, nor will any of the good people listening to this podcast. But this means that you'll never know whether the guy who cut you off was an inconsiderate jerk or a distraught father. The more important point is it really doesn't matter. You have the choice of determining what is the emotional domain you occupy. And you made a decision. Here's what you need to understand. You had a choice and you made a decision. Normally it happens so fast that people don't even recognize that. But now that I peeled it back, can you see that you had a choice and you made a decision? hmm and the reason that's important is because you have such a choice dozens of times every day let me repeat that you have you come to such a juncture dozens of times every day and in the vast majority of those junctures you choose to occupy an emotional domain where you feel angry hurt fearful anxious nervous and you never recognize that this was a choice you had and a decision you made. And the reason you make the particular decisions you do is because of the mental chatter that you entertain and the mental models that you hold. That's how important these things are. They run your life. They construct the matrix in which you live.
0: So if you're in a position of loving, gratitude, and a good space in your own model, and that people are generally good and all that, your first instinct when that happens to you is like, "Oh, I wonder what's going on in their life that exactly. they felt that I had to do that." But if you feel like everyone's out to get you, and the second someone does that, like that son of a sob, I he yeah. must have man, and your ego gets bruised, and and then sure. he, and then when you honk the horn, he flips you off, and then it starts to escalate. <laughs>
2: Exactly correct. You put it on right there. That's exactly how it happens. So the catch is you've got to recognize it the instant it is happening. And the only way you're going to do that is to live a life of awareness. And that's the core principle in my coaching. It's a core principle in the work that I do. You have to live a life of awareness.
0: But like I like I said earlier, though, I've noticed that, you know, with something that used to take you, you know, months. Of, of your day that worried you, let's say, went down to weeks, went down to days, went down to hours, went down to seconds. Mm-hmm. So something like that, someone cutting you off literally could knock you off for a full day and then mm-hmm. affect your family, affect your relationship, affect your job. But as you, I've noticed that at least in my world, and I'm not sure in yours, but when something like that happens, look, we all get someone cutting us off. Mm-hmm. And now it 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 upsets me for literally a few seconds and then i completely let it go but i'm Wonderful. still i'm still here i'm still dealing with being human i'm still dealing with my ego i'm still dealing with everything mm-hmm. that we have to deal with in this reality but it's getting shorter and shorter and shorter okay. and shorter exactly. until yes. it hopefully becomes non-existent but that's when you start getting to a a much higher place than i am at this moment <laughs> <laughs> that's still a get model. It's. I still get angry. I still get angry, but it gets. But it's so much quicker than it exactly. used to be. And that's. You found that as well as like even.
2: Absolutely. I, I have stuff be, I used to get really steamed up about. It just goes now. You know that's it.
0: And, and I have to imagine that at one point or another, you know, Jesus or Buddha, they 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 had to have gotten angry. They had to go of through these the, these kind of experiences because they're human. They were human. And they were evolving on a path to become a spiritual master or an ascended master eventually. And they had to go through this. And so many times we look at these spiritual masters that we look up to and and, and study and, and pay tribute to as perfection walking the earth. And they might have gotten to that place. But at a certain point, they all had to go through a journey. Buddha went very historically through his journey. Hmm. And he made mistakes along the way. He was like, nope, the ascetics are not the way I'm going to go. I got to mm-hmm. find this other way and things like that. So it kind of liberates us all. They're like, Oh, yes, we all have the ability to get to that, which is what yep. someone that like That is like.
2: the beauty of these great figures. They show you the pinnacle, if you will, of what a human being is and can be.
0: Exactly. Without without question. Um, now, a lot of the things that we've been talking about and i think this goes back a little bit to the mental models is that inner critic that monkey brain mm-hmm. uh that's constant 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 why is that who's who's the voice who who is telling like I, and i've said this so many times before but like if you had a person who talked to you like you talk to yourself you would never want that human being in your life we get you out and
2: shoot that person They're <laughs> you know? they are
0: brutal they are brutal that voice is brutal to us so why do we do that to ourselves what is the purpose of that
2: and how we can we break don't free recognize that we're doing it to ourselves one of the more powerful teach teachings of the buddha is the parable of the second arrow do you know the parable i Laleh? don't i don't okay. So the Buddha asked Ananda, his disciple, Ananda, if an arrow would have hit you in the arm, would it not be very painful? Ananda nodded his head, yes, Lord, it would be very painful. And if a second arrow would have hit you exactly where the first arrow hit you, would it not be even more painful? Yes, Lord, it would be even more painful. And then the Buddha asked a simple question, why then do you shoot the second arrow?
1: We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show.
2: And this will probably perplex most people. So let me explain this story. I got this from actually one of the wonderful TEDx stocks that are up on the web. Uh, there was a woman, beautiful, accomplished, and uh, she had a very messy divorce and it broke her up. It took her a long, long time for her to recover, but in bits and pieces, she put her life back together and decided she was ready to explore. So she went to the Internet sites and filled in a profile, and uh, she met this guy who was uh, funny and witty and an entrepreneur and well-off. But most of all, he seemed really into her. So after a few weeks of messaging and talking on the phone, they decided to meet in an upscale Manhattan cafe and she was all excited and she went out and got a new dress and they met. And 15 minutes into that meeting, he gets up, he throws his napkin on the table and says, I'm not interested and walks out. And she was crushed. She was so dispirited that the only thing she could do was talk to her, call her friend And a friend says, Why are you surprised? You have fat hips. You have nothing interesting to say. Why would a handsome, intelligent man pay any attention to you? You're shocked that a friend would say something like that, right? Would you be less shocked if I said, It wasn't the friend who said that, it's what she told herself? Mm -hmm. That is the second arrow. And the second arrow is. Always delivered by means of mental chatter. Let me repeat that. The second arrow is always delivered by means of mental chatter. It's bad enough being rejected. Does it make matters better to tell yourself that you are physically unattractive and socially maladroit? Obviously not. But we do it all the time. For most of my clients, if I could get them at the second arrow, they'd be way better than they are. By the time I get to them, they're on their fifth, sixth, or two hundred and ninety-seventh arrows.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's so true. We are so if we can stop that second arrow, because the first arrow was something that we had no control over, but the second to the 250th arrow is within our control.
2: No matter what situation you're concerned about, Alex, no matter what situation any of the listeners of this podcast are concerned about, your mental chatter about that situation makes it at least an order of magnitude and probably many orders of magnitude worse.
0: Now, we've discussed in this this conversation a lot about mental models and a lot about programming. And you know we are, like we said, we're, <clears throat> we are the product of our own upbringing, culturally, societal, all that stuff. Let's say that that is not serving us anymore. Mm-hmm. That The idea that we were raised with that money is hard to find, uh, love doesn't exist. These models that we might have seen in our own parents or on our family or our own society, societal environment are not working for us anymore. And we're aware of this. How do we rewire our brain to have a more successful and happier life?
2: That's what my course and my coaching is all about, Alex. I'll give you the short version. The short version is come up with different mental models which serve you better and implement them in your life. It's easy to say it's not quite as easy to do. How do you go about doing it? I actually give a step-by-step process in my first book, Are You Ready to Succeed? So if your readers are interested, they can get a copy of that from Amazon. Are you ready to succeed? But essentially what happens is, okay, let me back up. Every time you have a situation in your life that you find unpleasant and it persists, not some of the time, not most of the time, every time you have a situation in your life that you find unpleasant, and it persists. You are using one or more mental models that are not serving you well. And the moment you make a pre- appropriate changes in those mental models, poof, the situation will leave just like that. It works every time. How you go about doing that, that's what I discuss in my book, Are You Ready to Succeed?
0: It makes a lot of sense sir now you also talk about i saw you i think a video of yours online that said talked about a quantum leap in your mm-hmm. life to take a quantum leap can you explain what that means and what sure. do we, and what can we do to get that quantum leap sir
2: <laughs> it's very simple you start systematically looking at the mental models you have that you're holding back And one of the biggest mental models we have is, you know, if I have to be successful, I have to work hard and it is going to take time. I have to climb the ladder of success one rung at a time. Perhaps you don't have to. Perhaps you can leapfrog several rungs and do it again and do it again. One of the great things about the Uh, internet and the technological age we live in is we have all so many young people who become so wildly successful, Mm -hmm. certainly in financial material terms, but some in other ways as well. So it shows that success does not have to be rung by rung. It can happen much, much, much faster. What we have to get rid of is the mental model that this is the way to go. And also remember what I said earlier, Just because you think that you can get rid of it doesn't mean you can because, you know, we run into the old control paradigm again. You know, I have to get rid of my mental models and I'm going to adopt that person's mental model because he became a zillionaire when he was 30. So maybe I won't become a zillionaire, but I'll I'll become a half zillionaire. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. But if you set that as a goal and go, what will happen is the learning and growth that will happen in you will happen. And ultimately, you recognize that whatever it is that you need to be happy and fulfilled is right with you right now. You do not have to have external markers of any kind. And that is the biggest learning that you can have in life. Is it you are full and complete as you are right now you don't need anything to make you happy
0: Now and you were saying the the younger the younger uh, generation coming up uh, I always found that that when you're young you don't know what you don't know
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that is your greatest strength and your greatest weakness all at the same time because there is something to be said, about experience like we know like if you go down that road this is the door you're going to run into but a lot of times being so young and not understanding how the rules are are laid out as as models that we've set for ourselves you go well i don't want to walk down that road i'm going to go down this road that no one's ever walked down and i don't know how insanely dangerous it might be <laughs> or or stupid or whatever but that's how all of these great people that you've you've spoken about and studied you know, from every great entrepreneur that's ever walked the earth, they all went down different paths. And Jeff Bezos selling books on the internet in the 90s, that's insane. I'm going to create a, sp- a spaceship that lands Elon Musk. That's insane. You know, I'm going to create a social media platform. What is that? We already have that. It's called MySpace. Why would we need another one? Like there's so, all these things, but these are are people who think differently. It's just like that old Apple commercial. Those people who think they're crazy enough to change the world are the ones that do. It's about taking those big swings sometimes, and that's why we we idolize a lot of these people, also in the spiritual sense, also in many other aspects, not just money or entrepreneurship. But they take risks, they take these swings at the at the bat that you're more likely going to strike out, but every once in a while, they hit that, they hit that home run, right?
2: But here's the point. Don't look at this is what I'm going to accomplish and especially don't look at somebody else who's been wildly successful along the dimensions that you think are important and Mm -hmm. say, I want to be like that. Because the first thing we have to learn, Alex, is to recognize that you're on your own individual journey. You're not on anybody else's journey. And every time you look at somebody else and say, he did that or she did that, I want to do that. You're basically letting letting yourself in for a life of frustration and despair.
1: Uh,
0: I I did that for so many years in my in my filmmaking world. I tried to go down the path of so many successful filmmakers, and it just doesn't work. And then I get to speak to some of these filmmakers on my other shows, and and I and I go, oh, they didn't know what they were doing. They were just they were just walking a path that made sense for them. Mm-hmm. And it's something that you can't replicate. It's something that's very specific to them. You can take inspiration.
2: but The it's important not- thing to recognize, Alex, is that one size fits one.
1: We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. That's so true. It's it's so
0: true. You know, I could never walk the path you walked, you can never walk the path I walked. It's just not the way the world one
2: works. One size fits one. Always bear that in mind, and you'll be okay.
0: Now, a lot of the things that we've been talking about, I think that if we had more gratitude in our life, mm-hmm. there's that place where you that's that basis of like if someone cuts you off, if you've got more gratitude in your life. Uh, it becomes a lot easier to navigate. Can you give any advice on how we can incorporate gratitude as almost a default in our lives?
2: Absolutely, yes, I can. Uh, I want you to consider this proposition, Alex, and I'm going to lay it out to you. Your awareness is like a flashlight. What does a flashlight do? It lights up whatever you shine it on. It illuminates wherever you direct it. Directed the ceiling, it makes the ceiling bright. Directed at the floor, it lights up the floor, right? hmm And I'll prove it to you right now. I want you to take the flashlight of your awareness and shine it on the chair in which you are sitting. Okay. The moment you do that, you become aware of the pressure of your buttocks on the seat of the chair. You feel the fabric or the leather against the back of your thighs, correct? Mm-hmm. 30 seconds ago, you were not aware of any of this, but now you are. Why? Because you shone the flashlight of your awareness on it. What do we typically do with the flashlight of our awareness? We shine it on the two, three or four things that are wrong in our lives. More precisely, we shine it on the two, three or four things that we have arbitrarily decided is wrong in our lives. And the 40, 50, 200 things that are pretty damn good about our lives, we never shine the flashlight of our awareness on them, so they pass by unnoticed. Mm -hmm. The guy cuts you off in a traffic jam, almost causes an accident, you're driving a brand new BMW, it could have got banged up, could certainly have been disfigured, several thousand dollars of work on a body shop, and that didn't happen. How about feeling grateful for the fact that that didn't happen? How about feeling grateful for the fact that you have a car to drive in? Or be grateful for the fact, yeah, my air conditioner is down, but I know I can, you know, there's good Joe who's a good friend of mine and he's a mechanic and I'm sure he'll fix that up. And you're grateful that you have Joe in your life whom you can go to, can turn it right. Or how about feeling grateful for the fact, you know, I'm getting too hung up on stuff like air conditioning and here's a great time for me to wean myself out of it and not feel down. There are so many things we can be grateful about if we shine our flashlight of awareness on it. Do you have a bed to sleep in? Do you have a roof over your head? Do you have to worry about whether you're going to have dinner tonight? Any one of these is a big deal in a big part of the world outside, right? Mm -hmm. So when I point it out, you say, yes, yes, and you know you're incredibly privileged. But you don't feel incredibly privileged. You feel put upon and stressed out. And the reason for that is entirely because of where you shine the flashlight of your awareness on. So start by shining the flashlight of your awareness on the many, many ways and many things in your life for which you are truly grateful and fortunate. Do this constantly. Do it last thing before you go to bed. When you get up in the morning, don't go to the space of, oh my God, there's too much to do and I don't have enough time to do it on. Constantly shine the flashlight of your awareness on the many ways in which you're truly blessed. And it's my hope that you will eventually occupy the default emotional domain of appreciation and gratitude. Because when you're in the default, Emotional domain of appreciation, gratitude. You're not angry. You're not nervous. You're not fearful. You're not anxious. The two cannot coexist.
0: Very, very well put, my friend. You should do this for a living, Dr. Rao. I'm just saying you're pretty good at this.
2: Tell your podcast listeners to hire (laughs) Dr. Rao to come speak at your company.
0: Now, you've studied so many spiritual masters uh, throughout your career, and and it's helped influence your work. Who are some of your favorites, and why?
2: Oh, there are many, and I don't mind sharing them for you. Probably preeminent about them is uh, Bhagavan Ramana Maharshi. Ramana Maharshi was an Indian sage who lived in the uh, early 20th century. And he lived into the mid 20th century. So he's very contemporary. There are lots and lots of people who have personal, first hand accounts of their mm-hmm. uh, interactions and meetings with Ramana Maharshi. Uh, contemporarily, there was Ram Das, who was initially Richard Alpert, Harvard psychologist, and he went to India, met his teacher, Neem Karoli Baba, and became Ram Das. Uh, I was doing my PhD at Columbia Business School, and Ram Dass used to be in an apartment on Riverside Drive, so I actually spent some time with him. And one of my treasured possessions is a book, copy of Be Here Now, which was personally inscribed to me by Ram Dass. So oh. I'm very grateful to him. He's, he's had a profound influence on my life. Then uh, there is a Jesuit priest called Anthony DiMello. And uh, he was a realized being himself, and his teachings are both funny and deeply, deeply, deeply profound. So, these are some of them, and there are many more. If you're interested in that, get a copy of my syllabus for my course, Creativity and Personal Mastery. It's on my website. And if you go through that syllabus, there is a large bibliography at the end, and uh, one of them is life changing books. And uh, all of the people who had an influence in me are probably there
0: fantastic now do you have any big like some of the biggest lessons you've picked up from these spiritual masters
2: well the biggest lesson i picked up is that it's all a game you are not who you think you are you're not this particular body mind intellect complex that's doing what you think it is that's a soap opera that's a story that you tell yourself who you really are is pure awareness and you can identify with this body-mind effect complex, who's Alex, who's going around doing podcasts and uh, so on, or you can identify with. That's a dream that's going on. And who you are is pure awareness, witnessing the soap opera that's playing out on this beautiful screen. So enjoy it, my friend.
0: And you speak of awareness so much. We've spoken of awareness so much in this conversation. Is awareness... Uh, another word for consciousness, or is there a different definition you for
2: consciousness? Are awareness, you are consciousness. Many people, this is where words start breaking down, because ultimately this is beyond all words. So I liken words to a like a Ferrari. So you've got a Ferrari, and you love your Ferrari, and uh, you want to meet your friend who lives there, they're in the town. And the Ferrari will get you to your friend's house. It might even get you to your friend's driveway. But then you've got to get out of the Ferrari to meet your friend. The mind is like that. It will take you a very large part of the way. But eventually you have to transcend it to understand. Because you cannot think. You can only be. The moment you think, you create duality. There is this, whatever it is, and there is me. And I have to understand it. And I'm going to think about it. When you get to that stage, words become the problem because there is no thinking. Thinking automatically implies duality. There is only being, not thinking.
0: Now, I'm going to ask you a few questions I ask all my guests, Dr. Rao. What is your definition of living a good life?
2: My definition of giving a good life, good life is you get up in the morning and you're radiantly alive. As you go through the day, you can fall to your knees in involuntary gratitude at the immense good fortune that has been bestowed on you. You know that you are okay, that you have always been okay, that you will always be okay. In fact, you cannot not be okay. And you just revel in that because that is who you are. And when you get there, that's a perfect life.
0: What is your definition of God?
1: We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now, back to the show.
2: Here's the funny thing. I don't believe there is a God in the sense we traditionally understand it as someone apart from us who is all-powerful and can grant all kinds of uh, uh, wishes. Wishes. Wishes and... You are God, and all you got to do is get rid of your reeking, gibbering, intoxicated, crazy monkey mind. And when your monkey mind is gone, the only thing that's left is awareness. And there's one awareness. There's not Alex's awareness and Sri Kumar's awareness. There's only one awareness, and you are it, and it is you, and I am it, and I am you. And when you get to that stage you'll notice that there's nothing to fight against because you're all one anyway.
0: And what is the ultimate purpose of
2: life? The ultimate purpose of life is to recognize that that is who you are.
0: And where can people find out more about you, your work, your books and so on?
2: Our website is a good place to start. It's uh, the Rao Institute T-H-E-R-A-O Institute.com uh, They can also email me. My email is srikumar S-R-I-K-U-M-A-R dot Rao, Rao at the Rao Institute.com I would love them to purchase my latest book. It was only published last uh, month. It's called Modern Wisdom, Ancient Roots
0: Oh, nice uh, well,
2: and they can go to YouTube and put my name in the search engine and dozens of videos of me will pop up.
0: And tell me, tell me about your new book. Uh, what's your new book about?
2: It's uh, all of the concepts that we've been talking about presented in very, very short snippets, two to three pages each. So you read that, it's quick. You can dip into it and read whatever you want. But if you think about what you have read, it will alter your life. Can
0: I show you the book? Please, please, yes. Oh, it looks it's a nice cover. I like that cover. Uh, Well, I'm 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 definitely getting that book, and I expect I hope everybody gets. I hope everybody picks up those books.
2: I'm a big fan of your prior work.
0: Uh, and fin- do you have any final words for our audience, my friend?
2: Yes. It's a beautiful life. Don't waste it feeling sad, sorry, angry, irritated, worried about the state of the world. Enjoy each day. Each day is your life in miniature, Alex. You're born when you get up in the morning. You die when you go to bed. So treat each day as your life in miniature and enjoy this day because it's the only one you've got.
0: My friend, thank you not only for coming on the show, but for all the amazing work you've done uh, to help awaken humanity and help people along in their journey. So I appreciate you, my friend. Thank you again.
2: Thank you, Alex.
0: I'd like to thank Dr. Rao for coming on the show and sharing his knowledge with all of us. Thank you, Dr. Rao. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, please head over to the show notes at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash 196.